Welcome to Eat, Drink, Innovate, the podcast about food startups, innovators and entrepreneurs who are making their mark in Australia's dynamic food and beverage industry. The future of food is happening here. Come join Susie White at the table to eat, drink and innovate. Aha! I'm Susie White, and today I'm talking with Susie Daly. She's one of the owners and founders of a family-run business called The Daily Potato Company. They specialise in growing gourmet potatoes in beautiful Marion Bay in Tasmania, Australia. Now, this isn't going to be a story about growing and selling fresh potatoes. Instead, you're going to hear about a potato farmer who thought outside the box and went on an extraordinary journey of new product development, which resulted in the launch of a farm distilled potato vodka sold under the uber cool brand name Hellfire Bluff. That's a pretty unique new product, given that only 5% of all vodkas worldwide are made from potatoes. So welcome to the podcast today. Thanks, Susie. Now, before we start talking about your new product innovation, I'd love for you to talk us through how you started in potato farming, because you didn't buy a potato farm originally, did you? It was actually a merino sheep farm. So my husband was a farmhand on his uh, uncle's property when we first um, married, and I worked in a bank. We knew that um, we couldn't survive um, just on his wage, so he started to grow 10 bags of um, pink eye potatoes. We dug the first crop with um, a pitchfork, and there were more uh, prickles than there were potatoes. Um, and we just, you know, really started from very small beginnings, crawling along the ground, picking them up in buckets. Um, we didn't own a tractor, and slowly just started to, to grow um, from there. So what was the first big break for you on the potato farm? We finally got um, a contract with uh, Purity, which is now Woolworths, um, to supply uh, the pink eye potatoes. And um, that's where you know, we started to slowly move ahead. And then we approached Jared's uncle to buy the farm off him. That was a merino farm. But unfortunately, their shearing schedule was the week before Christmas, which is the busiest time for pink eye potatoes. So I was actually digging the potatoes while my husband was shearing the sheep that week. So you could imagine the tension in the household. And um, so he decided and the next week the sheep were sold. And then that's when we probably really became potato farmers. And had you known anything about how to grow potatoes up to this point? I mean, is, is Tasmania really well known for potatoes? Oh, no, we are actually at the other end of this, the um, state to where all the potatoes are grown. Most potatoes are grown on the northeast in the rich volcanic soil where we're down the other end in, in the grey sandy soil, um, which is really beneficial for us because when we wash the potatoes out of the sand, they just polish up so well. They're not stained by the red volcanic soil and we're right on the coast so we get early season potatoes um, things just fell into place. So the area wasn't known for growing potatoes and you didn't know how to grow potatoes and can I just ask why that crop of all the choices you could have made 
Why did you choose that one? We go with our gut feeling um, a lot in, in what we do because they say usually that's, you know, all your senses working together and um, it, it certainly has uh, worked for us. And because we weren't potato farmers and we weren't generational potato um, farmers, we didn't know anything about growing potatoes so we had to seek advice from um, you know agronomists and and so everything that we uh, went after and gained knowledge we we really did um, take it on board and listen to all the new um, ideas and we're still actually doing that today and Susie, where are you selling your potatoes at this point? Is this just Tasmania or are you across on the mainland, Australia as well? We, we only supply Tasmania. So Tasmania um, is uh, a state where you cannot bring potatoes into Tasmania because of our um, disease-free status and that does protect us you know, a, a fair bit. And it's not commercially viable to send potatoes across Bass Strait uh, to Victoria and New South Wales because of the cost and the, the commodity itself is just not valuable enough to sustain the, the freight costs. And who's involved in helping you run the business at this point? So um, up to that point, um, there was... Um, for years, it was just myself, Jared, and our, one of our farm hands, and we used to just dig the potatoes in the paddock, pack them there, and send them off to market. Then we moved to the washing plant, so that saw an increase of another four people. And our son finished school, and he wanted to come straight back onto the farm, and we said, "No, we want you to go and do something." and learn work ethic and so he went and got a trade as a builder and um, and then after he'd finished his apprenticeship he said um, dad I really want to come back onto the farms. So for this side of your business you've moved from unwashed fresh potatoes to washed fresh potatoes with the purchase of this washing shed and how big is this side of your business? Um, we're, we're probably uh, doing about 5,000 tonnes of potatoes through the packing shed and um, we still only do Tasmania, so um, we have um, Woolworths and Coles and IGA and um, some really good wholesalers that we, we work with and um, we um, always try to put out a premium product and always looking at new varieties and um, just you know better ways of, of um, managing our crops. So you've got a profitable business. It's it's working locally in Tasmania. You're supporting your family. Why why didn't you stop there? What drove you to do more and go on a search for for more new products? When you wash a potato, you see every blemish and every you know harvester mark. It's a second grade potato. Although once you peel it, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that um, potato. So. I had all these, you know, potatoes and we can go from a waste of 10%, sometimes up to 40% in the potatoes. It depends on the crop, it depends on the rain, it depends on the season. So you're faced with this situation where sometimes up to 40% of your crop isn't accepted in store. 
because they're worried they don't look great uh, and they're worried consumers won't buy these potatoes. Therefore, what are you doing with all this potentially wasted crop? Um, we were feeding them to our um, Angus herd, which, you know, so they're not completely wasted, but we wanted to value add this second grade potatoes. So I looked at several different things. I wanted to make potatoes into the gourmet sort of line that tastes absolutely delicious that are actually the star on the plate because people have forgotten um, what to do with potatoes and how versatile they they can be. You can make mash, you can make bakes, you can make gnocchi, you can make 20 different things just off the top of my head with potatoes. So that's when we started to um, look at making first thing was our potato salads. And I've got to ask, did, did it kind of creep up on you, this desire to kind of do more and, and make more of the crop you had or... Or was this kind of very sudden moment of inspiration? Did you just suddenly decide that you knew when it was the right time to do it? Well, I think that um, uh, about five years ago, Danali was hit um, with a major bushfire. So most of the township burnt and luckily, you know, we, we got through unscathed. And when you have people, including our farm manager and, you know, a couple of Jared's brothers and things like that losing everything and we lost our major employer the sawmill at home and it, it I think it just jerked me into gear and said you know Susie you know you've got to do something and uh, that was probably the most instrumental thing to me that I just felt that I had to do something it ended up being about trying to create some employment. How did you know what to make? How did you come up with those ideas? Well, um, you know, Google is an amazing thing these days. The distillery movement in Tasmania is really thriving whiskey down here. And so when I uh, found out that you could make potato uh, vodka, I just thought uh, I really wanted to be different. I love that, the power of Google. And so um, potato vodka, I mean, it's such a huge leap from where you were doing fresh bag potatoes. And it, it sounds really unique. And what makes potato vodka so special? Only 5% of vodka is now made out of potatoes because it's so much cheaper to make it out of other grains. But potato vodka is very smooth and so therefore we decided that that's what we would do. We, we want to be boutique. Um, our farm is actually right at Marion Bay where Abel Tasman first stepped ashore to get um, fresh water. Okay, now Susie, let me stop you there. I just want to pause and understand a bit more about how do you even go about setting up a distillery? So the distillery is right next to the potato factory at Donnelly because uh, we wanted, wanted it to be local. Everything I do, I try to get in Tasmania because it's all about trying to create jobs. So the steel has been made here in Tasmania by Peter Bailey that's made a lot of um, steels and 
our steel was made different to whiskey steels because we have to have columns so we can distill because we're actually extracting alcohol from potatoes which is really not not an easy thing to do and by having it down at the factory it's a pretty amazing place to visit we just uh yeah engaged people that knew what they were doing and trusted in them and it's yeah it's all worked out and how did you find the right people to help you the world is a very small place and i've had people you know as far away from england to help me with the um technical side of making potato vodka and i'm just touching base with a man in the csiro in adelaide at the moment to um help me to further develop our taste profile in the vodka because you know i i look at myself as just a mum and i don't know how to make vodka i don't know how to do shelf life in potato salad so one of my strengths i guess is that i'm not frightened to get out there and find the right person to ask and engage with those people so Susie, I'm I'm getting the sense you're the driving force behind a lot of these changes in your business. What are your husband Gerald and, and your son Nathan saying or thinking about all these new ideas and changes? Uh, well, my husband wasn't very supportive to start with, Gerald, and um, I actually was at the time doing a course in Sydney and he took me to the airport and I remember getting out of the out of the um car and saying to him you just don't try and support me you know you haven't got me those milk vats for the distillery and I feel like I'm doing this all on my my own and I was away for the week and I I came back on the Sunday and there's the the milk vat so he took a little while to come around but I must say the distillery for him has been fantastic because farming at times is quite hard and the distillery gives us a different outlet and we do a lot of shows like Festivali and the Taste of Tasmania and you know people come up and talk to you about your product and enjoy your product so it's actually been a really good thing and he he's ended up uh, quite proud and and quite into it now and it's not just your husband Gerald who's benefited from setting up the distillery. I think before we started chatting, you mentioned your daughter Ruby has come back to join you and help out, and your son-in-law Tom as well. That's right. So Ruby um, is actually a qualified beautician, and she wouldn't have come back into just the farm and the the packing shed. I'm absolutely sure of that, but. She's come into the distillery and she does all the marketing and organises everything as far as the distillery is concerned and very, very proud of what she actually does because she's young and fresh and, you know, she's into Instagram and Facebook and networking and I just don't have time to be across, you know, all of these things and we're trying to make the distillery part of the next generation and Tom is um, my daughter's partner and you know he does all the distilling and he's always playing with different flavour profiles and we sent him to Kentucky which is the home of 
bourbon and he's come back and thinks that we should be making some bourbon as our as our next project. When we come back, you'll hear how Susie Daly continues to push her new products even further and goes beyond potato vodka. Hey everyone, just a quick thanks to today's sponsor who helped make this podcast possible. It's the Food Innovation Centre at Monash University. They can help you fast track and de-risk your new products in the Australian market or export markets like China. Did you know that only one in 10 food and beverage products survive the first year of launch? That means nine out of 10 fail. If you'd like to be one of the businesses that gets it right, the Food Innovation Centre at Monash can help. They can design and bring your new product ideas to life with rapid design and prototyping and help you understand your shopper better and product performance on shelf. They can also get you connected to build a network with like-minded businesses. Check them out at www.foodinnovationcenter.com and see how they can help grow your business through innovation. Hey, welcome back to Eat, Drink, Innovate. I'm Susie White. So you heard how Susie Daly and the Daly Potato Company sought to make more use of her potato crop that the retailers just didn't want. And she wanted to increase employment in her local area of Marion Bay, Tasmania. So I asked her, what about any other new products she was working on? And she admitted they'd started making potato gins, which people seem to like. We're getting really good remarks at Salamanca that we've just released two different um, ones that have got unique Tasmanian flavours in them like pepperberry, veronia and, and honey that are Tasmanian flavours and that's gin. It's all about different tastes and, and different flavours. But you didn't just have the idea for the potato spirits, did you? At the same time, you were running with another project about developing potato salads. Was there ever a point where you wondered, why are we doing this and what have we got ourselves in for? Uh, Look, every day. (laughs) (laughs) I always thought one project would knock the other out, but they just kept going along side by side. And, you know, in hindsight, I probably should have, made the hard decision and just done one but I mean we're here today uh, we got through it and uh, it's amazing what um, determination will do. So let's talk about this potato salad range then. How long ago did you launch them and how did you go about making them? So uh, we have been now on the shelf in Tasmania with our potato salads for 18 months. So Woolworths really worked with us. Um, They sent down a team to get us across the line and give us advice about quality assurance, packaging, size and they, you know, really advised us in the early days of what direction we should be taking and I'm, you know, ever grateful to the girls that were here in the early days. We had a trial in Tasmania and we really, really did well with our salads and we still, to this day, are doing really well with our salads. And, um, you know, I have a lot of people stop me now and say, look, I used to make my own salad at home, but I don't bother anymore. It really does make me feel quite humble and proud when you get stopped and and said, you know, my favourite one's the curry and 
things like that. So all that hard work and tears and self-doubt, it feels worth it. And a lot of small businesses I know are really keen to get their products ranged in some of the major retail outlets. How did you build that early relationship with Woolworths so that they were willing to help you in the early product development stage? We presented to them, we probably presented to them 12 months earlier than what we were ready and then 12 months later we came back and said, ta-da, we're here, we've got our accreditation, you know, we're ready ready to go. So they, they were very patient with us and, you know, 18 months on, um, we've learnt even more now because we're still only babies in this area and... We have presented a whole new range of products just recently for winter and they've agreed to take three products forward for uh, winter because we have only got potato salad on the market which is very summer orientated. We need some winter things to safeguard so that my staff have continual employment. So with your washed and bagged potatoes, you really couldn't distribute those beyond Tasmania. But now with the winter and summer-based ranges of your potato salad, it's enabled you to get across to the mainland and gain distribution in New South Wales and Victoria. Tell us a little bit more about that. We were given um, about 280 premium stores to trial the product because our product is a premium product. I still have a lot of work to do to try and get the consumer in Victoria and New South Wales to taste it and understand the um, actual product. So we're just engaging in in in-store tasting and Ruby's looking at different ways of marketing of how you actually get the customer to go and look for your product in store because that's become now a big part of what we actually do and you know consumers really want to support Australian farmers that's that's the beauty of where we live they really really are concerned and want their produce made here in Australia because they know that we produce some of the best produce in in the world and it's the safest. And Susie could you just take a moment and walk us through your range of potato salads. What kinds have you got? So we have mild curry, which um, is selling really, really well. And a lot of people say, look, I wouldn't have thought of doing a, a curried potato salad, but it's actually my favourite. We have spring onion and garlic aioli. It does well because it, it will go with so many different things. And then we have bacon and Dijon, which is our number one seller because of the flavour profile and people tend to love it. And then we're just trialling a new one, which is smoked chicken and seeded mustard. I think you need to be um, trying to change it a little bit around to see what works. We had one that was yoghurt and dill and the people that loved it, loved it. And they, when it got pulled from the shelf, we had quite a few phone calls because it was really low in fat and sugar and people that had health issues were really following that variety. And we work really hard with all of our products that we produce to make sure that the star rating is um, 
is really good on them because uh, I have a chef employed here as my production manager so he cuts the sugar out of everything to make it as healthy as it can be. And who helped you come up with those potato salad recipes, Susie? Was it uh, Russell, your professional chef and production manager? So Russell did produce the mild curry and the bacon and Dijon and um, I we did a lot of tasting um, because Russell has quite a spicy palate and we did a lot of arguing in the early days and I said no it's got a it's got to be for the run of the mill people so you know 80% of these you know are going to like the mild curry and the other 20% are going to say it's not spicy enough but they can add spice to it. I worked with Hazel McTavish West who did the spring onion and garlic aioli and she does all my shelf life testing. And who's helping you produce these products, Susie? Are you doing it yourself or are other people helping you set it up? It's amazing, you know, how people will come in and help you. So initially we had Bob Wilson who set up the Long Life Milk Factory. Paul Bennett from Ashgrove, you know, he's helped us and let us go through his factory. And, you know, it's just always about connecting with people. Linda Hazel's done all my quality assurance stuff. So people will help you. It's amazing. And that always really shocks me how much people will help you. And so the new products that you've launched, the potato salad ranges and the potato vodka and spirits, how are they going? Are they paying for themselves yet or are you having to support them with your existing fresh and bagged potato products? We're still relying on the on the core business to um, support these businesses. So we're working very hard for them in the you know the next twelve months to come out of the you know support from from that business. So I have to stand alone, and they're getting very close, and we're working very hard to try and increase our customer base. And thinking back over the last five years for you. You've been on a real journey of new product development. Has there been a time where you, you know, worried that maybe it wasn't the right thing to do or or you really started to doubt yourself? Uh, look, you know, um, there's been a lot of low points and I'd be I'd be lying to um anybody if I didn't I didn't say that, but you know, you just got to keep pushing through. You, you just got to have that determination and you've got to have a lot of self-belief because you know when you're at that low point it comes back to that gut feeling and you go is this right at the end of the day it, it it always said yes it is right and if some of our listeners are interested in buying some of your potato vodka or potato gin where could they find it we have a distributor that does Tasmania and he gets them into different places. BWS have picked it up in the south of the state. We do Salamanca Market. You can buy it on our website and Ruby has just engaged some agents in Western Australia and Brisbane. So we're actually thinking of um, the export market because, you know, we believe that Asia is just on our doorstep and we're looking at 
what they're eating and what we could provide to them. And of course, I just have to ask, are there any more new product ideas kicking around, Susie, that uh, you might be surprising your family with? No, no, Jared, Jared said he's going to pack his bags and go. <laughs> so, you know, we had a distillery meeting on Monday and I said to Tom and Ruby, this is now where you need to bring me the ideas because they need to take it on board and have ownership and they need to start developing where they think that the business should go. And just in wrapping up, Susie, a question I like to ask all my guests is, do you have a food philosophy that you either live or work by? I just want, um, you know, good, wholesome, wholesome food. And I, and I think that that's what everybody wants. You know, we're all so busy that convenience is the thing of the future. And um, so therefore, people of the future probably don't even want to peel a potato, but they will hopefully buy our products in a more finished product. And for anyone listening who might want to start their own food startup or they're a raw produce grower and they want to value add and create new products themselves, what advice might you offer to them? Oh, look, you know, I I believe that I went into it quite blind and that's probably not a good thing. You need to really go in with your with your eyes wide open and and know exactly what your costings are and know that there's there's a market at the end because that's the the biggest thing whilst I've been very lucky it could have gone the other way and once you're in it and you've spent the money you need to make sure you know what you're doing and get lots of advice really along the way. So Susie, I noticed in terms of branding, you go to market with your fresh potatoes and your potato salads under the Daily Potato Company, but for your potato vodka and gins, you use a very trendy name and it's called Hellfire Bluff. Where did that name come from? So Hellfire Bluff is actually at the end of Marion Bay Beach. Um, so we wanted to actually always bring it back to where we live and what we do. And Susie, where could people uh, find your products if they wanted to buy them? Uh, Ruby's now working on opening up our cellar door um, so that we can, you know, increase telling our story. And Jared's even looking at having a platform so that they can walk along and see the potatoes being processed in, in the sheds because people um, are really intrigued and they want to know where their food comes from and they really want to support farmers. So we do Salamanca Market every Saturday and, you know, people really are drawn to a potato farm that is now producing gin and vodka and limoncello and slow gin and uh, all of the, the likes. Well, thank you so much, Susie, for coming on the show today and sharing your inspiring story. I wish you every success in the future and can't wait to see more of your delicious potato products on the shelves. Thanks, Susie. Appreciate it. For anyone who did want to find out more about the Daily Potato Company and Hellfire Bluff, I'll include all the website details in the podcast show notes. 
Aftertaste, the sweet taste of success. Hi, everyone. Thanks for sticking around. This is the part of the podcast where I think about my chat with Susie Daly and unpack some of the secrets of her success, especially around her journey of product innovation. Now, I could certainly talk about Susie's drive and self-belief and her amazing ability to reach out to people and engage them to build a thriving family business. But I feel like you would have got those messages quite strongly for yourself. And I'd rather we spend this time talking about the types of innovation that Susie Daly used and how they might benefit your business too. In product innovators language, there's kind of only three types of innovation. The first one is core innovation, and that's a bit like Susie's washed, fresh and bag potatoes. It's any product improvement or changes you make to your current product that satisfies the marketplace you exist in and the consumer group you already sell to. Now, if you were to step beyond these, the next type of innovation you might do is called adjacent innovation. And this is when your business creates a new product that expands into a market or satisfies a new group of consumers that are new to your business, not necessarily new to the world, but something you haven't done before. In the case of the Daily Potato Company, this is when they branched out and went into gourmet potato salads. It required new assets, it used a core product she had, but it certainly opened up a whole new market opportunity in the mainland, value adding and a premium product that she couldn't get to with her core product of just raw potatoes. And the final type of innovation, the one that not many businesses use because it is quite radical, it's the one that often makes those newspaper headlines and it's called transformational or disruptive innovation. And this is when you create a new product for a totally new market or a new set of consumers. It's innovation that's new to the world. It disrupts the status quo, and you'd be amongst one of the first few to be doing it. And that's really the reason why it's headline grabbing. It can kind of make or break a business. Because it's so far away from what they currently do and what they currently know, and they're the first ones in that marketplace, the risks are extremely high. But so are the rewards, if you get it right. Now, conventional wisdom suggests you use the profit and the growth you have in your core products to fund innovation into adjacencies and then into transformational or disruptive type of new products. But I feel like conventional wisdom sometimes only just gives you conventional results and and that might not be enough to really change your business. What's incredible about the Daily Potato Company is that not only did they go after that adjacent innovation, those close-in familiar products like a potato salad that we would expect them to. Instead, Susie Daly ran with two types of innovation at once, thinking that one would knock the other out, but they didn't. She was naturally attracted to that disruptive transformational innovation, to that unique opportunity that a potato-based vodka and gin would offer her company. And because of this, 
They created a business that their children wanted to come back and work in that opened up entirely new distribution channels and unlocked premium pricing that has driven and increased jobs in the local community and that has really heroed the beautiful local produce of Tasmania. And I think that's a pretty good indication of success. If you'd like to learn more about the three types of innovation, you can check out the show notes of this podcast or it's on page 46 of my book, Innovation Feast, Create New Product Ideas to Feed Your Hungry Business. It's available on Amazon or my website, www.eatdrinkinnovate.com.au. Thank you for listening to the show today and a big thank you to Susie Daly of the Daly Potato Company and Hellfire Bluff Distillery. Join me next time to eat, drink and innovate. Do you have any suggestions about successful food or beverage entrepreneurs and innovators in Australia that you think Susie should be talking to? You can get in touch with her at eatdrinkinnovate.com.au forward slash podcast and find all the show note links and innovation resources there too. And if you like this podcast, please help others discover it by leaving a review on Apple Podcast, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts from. 